welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, uh, the last episode, so technically the first episode of 2020 is not one that we recorded in 2020, but here we are in the in year 2020. 2020. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we're in this weird space where there's like nothing coming out super close that we're like stoked about, right? Like nothing has come out in the first week of 2020 that like we're here to talk about today. And I've kind of found myself in this weird spot because like all of December, I just was like catching up on games and just playing stuff to like prepare for the Goaty episode. Um, and now that I'm free from that, I'm in this like weird halfway point where I'm just playing kind of everything. Like to be clear, I did play the opening of Doom 2016, like right before we hopped on Skype today. Um, <laughs> okay. Just the beginning, cool. just like yeah. until the title card showed up. I, I, I just can't like pick a thing to play at the moment. So I'm like kind of floating, like literally floating around the ether at the moment. Um, you're coming to the table with some games that you have played, which I'm excited to talk about because yeah. I feel like you you have um, you have kind of like a a regiment of, of playing games in a way that I don't at the moment. I'm like totally unhinged. Um, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to think about how I played stuff before the show, during the show, and now. Because I think before we start doing this show, I would buy a game that I was really excited for and kind of see it through to the very end. And yeah. that would be like all I was playing for that moment, which is why I think I gravitated towards RPGs so much. Because I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Let's do this 80-hour thing because I yeah. haven't played games in a long time. Now we're playing a bunch of stuff, and uh, I found myself, again... I say this a lot. We're never going to buy something we don't genuinely want, but the rate of acquiring games is heightened by doing the show. Mm -hmm. Um, then again, we also talk about, like, it's not all new stuff. We talk about old stuff, too, as evidenced by our 20-hour Games of the Decade episode. Yeah, which we and, should mention, like, we released, I think yeah. it was like 13 to 15 hours of audio um, last week for you and I recording, and I guess two weeks ago for those of you listening now. But just want to give, like, a major shout-out to anyone who finished that and anyone who even, like, started listening to it. Kind of wild that anybody uh, made it through all of that. Honestly, AJ at the top of that list... Yeah, uh, making it happen. But anyone else who listened to it, thank you so much for doing that. Um, yeah. It was really I mean, fun, honestly. I mean, we were recording that Games of the Decade one for like just over a month, I would say. Yeah, it was basically like 10 extra episodes in one big episode. We yeah. had to like hack the file to get it to fit into like every every podcast ever was like, no, 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 don't do this. Yeah. This is too much. Yeah. Uh, um, like, no, no, no. I... I, I I'm not going to publicly say how I got anchor.fm to allow me to upload a one gigabyte file, but sure did. Yeah, um, sure did. It was fun. But yeah, I mean, I second that. Like, we had a lot of fun making it, and I think, because up until that episode, the longest one was, like, the E3 ones. But anyway, thanks for listening. That's a testament to how much, I think, how much support we had for the show, that we could just do that, and, it's, and people liked it, you know? Yeah. Um, it's kind of wild. Uh, don't worry, that won't happen a lot. That might not ever happen again, honestly, except for maybe, like, in another 10 years. But uh, yeah, yeah, I can't you. imagine another another episode that we would be able to come up with that would be that long again. But also, I mean, you and I have dumb ideas all the time. So <laughs> what, what did you shoot down? What was my idea that you shot down yesterday? You, you asked me why you why you were the moral center of, of this podcast. You, <laughs> you messaged me and AJ saying, why don't we do for January's bonus top 10 silliest snacks? <laughs> 
Yeah, that was it. <laughs> and make it 10 minutes. And I said, no. I just said, like, no, period. Yeah. Because, like, I, you, you would, we would do it, and then it would exist. It's so funny conceptually, but, like, we can't. That's such an <laughs> insult to the audience. The, the bonus episodes are people paying money. <laughs> no one is paying money for top 10 silliest snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Maybe like as an extra bonus that'd be funny, but like that's not going to come in place of whatever January's bonus is. But yeah, you also you also <laughs> tweeted um, <laughs> that, that our January bonus episode was only going to be ten minutes to compensate. Um, yeah, which yeah, I love. Which moral. My concept for the ten minute bonus episode was uh, top games of the decade called <laughs> Kingdom Hearts three. <III. laughs> <laughs> I'd rather do top ten silliest snacks because I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I think I would also silly. like to do top 10 silliest snacks. Can I show you one? Uh, please. That please had a lot of meanings. It was, yes, I'd like to see, but also like, let's please move on. Brendan left his chair. Happy 2020. All right, let's see what this is. So this is this is an audio medium, so you're going to have to be very, very visual in, in how Sensual. you describe what I'm about to show you. Okay. okay. But this, this is in the top 10 silliest snacks, definitely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Santa's sour legs? Yeah. Ew. Oh my god. <laughs> what? That sucks. I hate it. Okay, if you if you, fast forward the segment if you don't want to be cursed or like die in a week like a la the 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 ring. But um so Brendan is showing me like first he showed me the close up of the like logo which is Sort of akin to Warhead's 90s art, this like elf in a Christmas hat with either very small hands or like flayed skin tags wearing a Santa hat, puckering its mouth because of how sour it is. Then you see, you're like, well, how is this Santa's sour legs? Then you pull away and it's these long sugary tendrils with boots on the end. Imagine a giant elf head with really long pixie stick legs. It's really like watching a Bloodborne boss stand up, honestly. <laughs> uh, and that's number one at the silliest yeah, snack of on the, <laughs> on the back it says, right, store in a cool, dry place. <laughs> Which I definitely got cooled down. I was gonna. I was so prepared to be like, hey, listeners, this is the first like normal episode after our eight-hour bonus. And our last week's episode, which was largely about cats, now we're... <laughs> I could not have guessed we would open this episode with Santa's sour legs. Can we please talk about a video game? Wait, can I, okay, wait, you. I just need to... Now that I'm looking at this packaging, because I, I have never looked at it this close, it okay, was gifted to up? me and I immediately uh, put it in, in, like, my mind's trash can. Um, but... <laughs> was it like a white elephant or something? Like No. A, it was a gift. <laughs> it was a gift. Okay. Um, okay. Let me just read all the words that are on the front of this. Sure. Uh, for those of you playing at home, take a shot every time I say the word sour. Sour face twisters, Santa sour legs, sour candy powder, sour white grape, sour cherry, and sour apple flavored. A lot of sour. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. That's a lot of shots, too. Please pace yourself, dear listener. C stop showing it to me. I know it doesn't have a nose. Get it away. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Anyway, that's one of the top 10 silliest snacks. So if you want that episode and you want to overrule <laughs> Steven's veto, uh, email us at silliestsnacks.aether.biz and uh, I'll get right back to you.
I'll get right back to you, like instantly. <laughs> have a sour Immediately. Day. <laughs> <And> we, <laughs> the volunteers are waiting by the phones for your votes for Tom Tenzilius next. Dunkaroos, an honorable mention. Um, <laughs> all right. Can we please actually move on? <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, I'm, I'm stuck in this hell where I am playing like a little bit of every game. So I played the beginning of Doom. I played um, up until <laughs> the, the big dragon on the bridge that breathes fire in Dark Souls. So like from the beginning until that point. Um, uh-huh. What else? I've been playing a lot of Slay the Spire. Um, FTL on iPad because after last week's Hell episode, yeah. Steven convinced me to buy an iPad. Um, yeah, I've just been playing a lot of games. Uh, so I don't really have like the headspace to like talk about one in depth, but you've been playing two, uh, one of which I've played, one of which I have not. And I'm excited to hear about the one that I have not played because I have been thinking about getting it for the Nintendo Switch. So please Ooh. tell me. Yeah, very cool. So um, I also will just say that like with my backlog, I have a list of games that I want to see through to the end and ones that I want to experience more. One of these games is a game that we missed uh, or at least that I missed um, in our 2019 coverage that I really want to check out as soon as possible. We'll talk about that in uh, the later part of the episode. The first game is a game I've had for a while that I've been wanting to play for a long time and finally had the time to. That's right. It's Divinity Original Sin 2 uh, by Larian Studios. Uh, This is a really classic ass, um, like the best way I could describe it is like there are a lot of Western RPGs that borrow a lot from D&D. You know, I think a good example of that is like Knights of the Republic or any Bioware game. You can tell like that it has roots in D&D with both like your stats basically aiding hidden roles that whenever you try to do something like the game is rolling behind the scenes to determine the outcome. Yeah. Uh, for those unfamiliar with D&D, the easiest way to describe it is like you're playing as a character, you have a 20 sided dice and whenever you want to do an action, if you want to lie to someone, if you want to open a door or whatever, you roll a dice and you add your stats to that roll and uh, whoever's running the game will know what number you have to match or be in order to successfully have done that action. That's like the simple way to describe it there's more stuff on top of that but that's like how to play like mm-hmm. theoretically all you need to play D is like friends and a 20-sided dice that's like all you actually need everything yeah. else kind of just aids the experience but um i bring that up because there are games like knights of the republic or mass effect or dragon age that like you can see that that mechanic underneath it all um divinity original sin 2 is basically just like straight up D, uh, and i'll get into what that means mm. and why but okay um, I think that there is sort of a void for RPGs like this, despite the abundance of fantasy RPGs. This is one of the few, cause this game came out in 2017. Um, and I think it just came out for switch, uh, last year and yeah, it's, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I'm excited to talk about it. I have a lot to say, and I think it will open the door to other conversations about games. But I think that like, whether or not you enjoy this game solely depends on like, if you are in for that, like very organic D&D experience. So I guess just broad strokes, I'll say what that means before I get into specifics about the game and what I'm enjoying. I think with RPGs and with RPGs that kind of say, oh, your choices matter, like you have freedom as a player to do whatever. Yeah. I would say, you know, on one side of the spectrum, this this end of the spectrum being like you can navigate within a predetermined story out of place like a Final Fantasy 7 where it's like yeah you can go to towns and you can like choose who's in your party and you could maybe take Barrett on a date in Gold Saucer <laughs> mm-hmm. but like the story's going to play out the A plot's going to play out in one way no matter what you do so that's an RPG where like it's an RPG in the sense of there is some choice like in the moment to moment 
life of the characters, but the same stuff is going to happen. In the middle, I would put a game like uh, Mass Effect or Witcher 3, where every kind of outcome is scripted and is a cinematic moment. And like, there's been a lot of thought put into like how that story goes and why. I think um, a lot of people point to the Bloody Baron in Witcher 3 of like just being a really crazy introduction to like how nuanced that world is and like how different your outcomes could be. Um, I won't spoil what happens to that character, but like you get to know that character very well for better or for worse. And like that, that character's life plays out in an extremely different way, depending on your actions that almost seem unrelated at the time. Yeah. I would also put mass effect in this sort of middle category where you are choosing really big choices, but like there's usually like two or three really polished, scripted, cinematic moments that it's going to aid your decision. So like this is a game where rather than having one fully fleshed out plot, there's probably like three to five and then you can navigate slightly within that too. So like I would put that in the middle and then on the left, I would put stuff like Dragon Age Origins or even uh, uh, Outer Worlds, um, where the protagonist doesn't talk, and I think not having a voice gives you way more options in the text. And the plot is like seemingly more infinitely possible, where like rather than having three to five choices, you could just sell out the your your like friend who helps you in the quest right away to the authorities. You can kind of throw out the A plot. Uh, every every NPC can be interacted with in a different way and there's writing to kind of aid your decisions. Um, and it's not like infinite, but you could tell that like there are way more options of what can happen because I think the character doesn't talk and because there's more nuance with the text in terms of like who your character is and what they're doing in this world and what's happening because of that. And then on the very end of the left spectrum, I would put Divinity Original Sin 2. This is a game where major NPCs can accidentally slip on ice and die, like in the middle of a quest. (laughs) Yeah, like this is a game where everything is so accounted for uh, you know, you'll be walking around an environment. If you're by a fireplace, it will say like all your characters are warm. I am playing as a sorcerer or an enchantress, excuse me, who you can choose like what your starting spells are. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if I could, I'd, I, with D&D, I always love choosing a spell that's seemingly not super useful, but I'm like, I know I'll find a nuanced reason to have this. Mm-hmm. So I have a spell where I can just make it rain. And like, it doesn't hurt anyone. It doesn't cure anyone. It just literally starts raining. Okay. And I can't tell you how useful that's been when like suddenly the battlefield is on fire. I'll make it rain to put out the fire, but then it's filled with fog. And then I can like hide in that fog and like, um, or just the idea that like now all our characters are soaking wet. If someone casts us a lightning spell it's going to be super effective it is so like organic of like what can happen because of things that are not accounted for by the game at all but there's logic in the game to benefit that you know i can make a spell where the terrain is icy and there's like a x chance you're just going to slip and get knocked down because of that not to mention like the game's writing is great there there's this sort of uh there's a narrator who's this like kind of stanley parable like posh british guy who's sort of the like de facto DM who will narrate like this character looks at you and smirks and shows their teeth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you really had to rely on that narration above all else. Cause there isn't like a cutscene happening. Like you're really just reading the text. Even sometimes the character models won't do what they're saying they're doing. But uh, yeah, it's just like infinite in that way. It almost feels sometimes like AI dungeon where it's like, 
there's logic in the game to support anything, but like it could really just be out of left field. And I think that is the best and worst thing about this game where like I love that sense of organic like possibility and, and like truly infinite, you know, things happening. But sometimes it's just like, okay, well now I'm now I'm fucked because like everyone died because they slipped on ice and I can't progress. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a game where I would say save a lot. Okay, I was um, gonna ask what it, what happens in that case if if the game is literally unpassable at a certain point. It wouldn't be like un. I mean, that can happen, but like you know, most of the time it's sort of like okay, I can like the game usually recognizes what's happening in the story. So like if someone dies, but they weren't like the only way forward. There's usually an alternative, but I would still say like save a lot. Uh, you know, if something happens where like I don't like the way this story is progressing because of this, reload an earlier save. It kind of has that old school feeling in that aspect. Um, and I would also say to play it on story. I played it on classic at first, and I found the combat was like so unforgiving. Mm. Like this really feels like when you're playing D and D with a very brutal DM, and you're like, okay, I'm like a rat wearing a piece of cloth i have a rusty dagger and two gold but like really that's the case you know like in skyrim (laughs) skyrim you leave the prison and you're like in rags and have a sword but like you're pretty badass in the beginning like you can take on most threats and divinity it's like no you're like actually in rags and you don't stand a chance against like bugs most of the time i personally found that a little frustrating in the beginning because i'm like i don't know what to do to get better like i i like am pretty well versed in these types of games and i'm like i don't have any gold so i can't buy better things and what I learned is that like that's kind of the case because they really want you to like feel like not that they want to dissuade you from battle but they really want everything to have the like real life weight it would you know like if you were going to go into a camp and just pick a fight with the leader of the camp that's going to feel like you're actually doing that you know Mm -hmm. like it's going to have the stakes that it should given where you are in your quest I put it on story and I enjoyed it a little bit more because I wanted to get going and and I will say too that uh, you have like companions. You have, can have a party of four, uh, and I'll talk more about that because that's what I'm really enjoying so far in the story. But you have like I think one or two resurrection scrolls. Eventually, you can learn that spell and just have it. What does that but, mean? I mean, I assume it means you can resurrect people, but yeah. Otherwise, they're just dead for good. So okay. there's like a permadeath thing that they don't tell you about. Okay. <laughs> so like, and and like the first battle I did, my characters died. This sounds kind of negative, but I'm just describing because I have not experienced this level of just like hands-off organicness in a video game and i think people will really like that but i I definitely want to set you up to be like maybe go in on like the easiest difficulty which is still a challenge for me i still find the battles like challenging enough that i'm invested in it but it's not so brutally unfair that i'm like getting frustrated what kind of combat is it is it active or is it turn-based or like what's the deal here it is uh again straight up like D turn-based like you you kind of okay. see an overview of the map almost like an isometric view and you tell characters where to move mm-hmm. um and it shows you like how many action points they have left and then they can pull from a series of abilities where like you know if you're a fighter you could fortify or you could like throw a grenade or you know all that kind of stuff okay mages so obviously have XCOM all those spells adjacent. yeah yeah it, it plays like a i guess turn-based strategy game um but like has all the D stuff where like if you walk out of an enemy's like sphere they'll get an attack of opportunity where they'll like swing at you for trying mm-hmm. to leave the area yeah i think you would enjoy it but i think like it is a little overwhelming on on even the normal difficulty because like i just felt so outclassed in the beginning but so I, w- I would just recommend like across the board start in story mode and go from there but yeah 
what I am really enjoying is, do, do you want me to clear up anything else before I get into what I'm enjoying? Because I know I'm, I'm trying to describe a lot, so I want to make sure it all kind of makes sense in your mind. Yeah, I'll say two things about it. Um, okay. Number one, the, the hang-up I've always had about this game is that it has always felt like one level up from um, Dwarf Fortress, where, like, Dwarf Fortress is the most, like, imparsable video game of all time. <laughs> you need to watch, like, a four-hour tutorial to even understand yeah. how to start playing it. Divinity Original Sin 2 almost feels like it is in that wavelength a little bit and feels like it is for such a hardcore audience that I've always felt kind of like turned off by it. Um, beyond the fact that it like literally has a name that sounds like a kid in Stranger Things would say it out loud right before getting shoved into a locker. <laughs> like it sounds like, like oh, I've been yeah. playing so much Divinity Original Sin 2. And then some like big jock comes by and goes, shut up, nerd, and shoves him in a locker. Yeah, my um, landlord texted me for more money once he saw it installed this game. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the first thing I want to say about it. The second thing yeah. is that while you were talking about it, I already went on the eShop and bought it and it's downloading now. So I'm already going to play it. <laughs> um, I, and I think you'll yeah. enjoy that just sense of like infinite possibility. Yeah. That a lot of games kind of advertise and this game like is knee deep in for better yeah. and for worse. And I think that like I've actually learned the value of having some rails because I think that like in this game could use even a little bit more balance in terms of like feeling that like I'm part of this quest and not just like caution to the wind. I will also say no matter what character you're playing as get the pet pal perk it lets you talk to animals. Oh, okay. And it's always amazing. Like, I talked to a bear cub, and he's like, I want to find my mom. And it was just the saddest, cutest thing. Yeah. Talking to rats is maybe my favorite experience in this game. Because one rat is like, I can't stop eating dead bodies. I know it's gross, but, like, I can't. I just have to. It's interesting it, that the rat like, thinks it's gross. I love that. The rats are oddly, so far, the smartest animals I've talked to. Everyone else is, like, written, like... This dog was like, wake up, master, wake up. And you have to tell him, like, your master's dead. And you, you have to explain what death means to a dog, <laughs> which is, like, very, oh, no. very kind of interesting. But Pet Pal is a great perk. And there are there, like, more lighter moments where they'll be like, oh, I found treasure. You might like it. And, uh, you know, it's a key to a door. And then I ask the dog, like, where's this key lead to? And they don't know what keys are. Yeah. They just thought it was a shiny object. So that's great. And, like, worth noting, I think, with this type of game, I think it's almost a given. But the writing is fantastic. What's really cool is when you make your character, uh, there are six or seven predetermined uh, characters that have a backstory that's going to be like played out in the world of the game. So there's the A plot of the of the game. Um, similar actually to Dragon Age where essentially what's happening is there's this, this type of magic called source where it's like seen as too dangerous to exist in, in the material realm. So a group of magisters have like put collars on all these people that can use source that kind of nullify their power. So in the beginning you were on this ship of prisoners who all have source ability but they have these like for the first like X hours of the game, you all have these kind of collars on you that like identify you right away as what they call sorcerers. Um, but like, you know, with a U, which again is like a Stranger <laughs> Things bully word. Like, yeah. I'm not a sorcerer. I'm a sorcerer. Lunch yeah. money taken. But uh, yeah, it's like it, it like D&D things take a little bit longer than maybe you're used to in some video games. But I think like the payoff is worth it. I think it's like it, it really asks you to think about your environment. And that's something that I think is really beautiful about D&D, where outside of just like rules and stats, I could be like, huh, like we're in a room that like is kind of uh, like I remember, um, you know, just, just taking advantage of like actual the physical room of like, OK, are there vines? Can I cast this like? 
nature spell on the vines to maybe grab the enemy or like the fact that the game is always telling you like what the environment is like is affected by whether it's wet or on fire or or there's oil on the ground like it really it really lets you take advantage of just your own creativity mm. and that's how you win battles less less like being a higher level and more like okay i really have to think about where my party members are and what they're doing and and really take advantage of like manipulating the environment like again that making it rain is oddly like my most useful spell because like uh other things too where like i have a skeleton in my party who i'll talk more about <laughs> who is healed by poison but hurt by curing magic so like great um i i use some of that also if you're a skeleton you can pick locks using your bony fingers which i love um it's like you picked a lock using your bony fingers i'm like hell yeah uh it is funny the more you describe this game the more it does sound like ai dungeon <laughs> yeah it, it has that like almost text-based rpg-ness and obviously it's like it's a pretty beautiful game and and you know really good voice acting and and well written but it does have that like feeling of like oh wow i could really do anything i guess you yeah know? and do you find I, that overwhelming like is there enough of a narrative where you feel like you're kind of actually actively going out and trying oh, yeah. to do a thing or, oh, yeah. or is it so hands-off that it almost feels a little bit dragon's dogma-esque um no there's definitely more of a of a narrative that you're like following and all the characters have their own stories too so like you'll just end up uncovering that as you play yeah. i think where it gets overwhelming is in the mechanics where it's like wow i really have to like account for a lot and that's where i think it could use a little bit of like more balance but again i think there's a there's a pretty sizable audience that like wants a game that feels as hands-off as this yeah. Um, at least in the mechanics. But in terms of who you can play as, uh, there are all these characters that have like their own predetermined stories that will play out in the world. And what's really cool is that uh, no matter... And there's also characters where you can just like fully customize your own character independent of that. Uh, even even more neat is like in all those characters that have predetermined stories, you can customize how they look and what abilities they start with. So you can still make it your own. Mm -hmm. But if you don't play as any of them, all those characters appear as recruitable companions in the story. So, like, you'll see, you know, a character you might not want to play as, you might prefer to have as an ally, and you can still see their story play out as, like, an NPC rather than who you are. Yeah. I have to admit, I was really tempted to play as the Red Prince, who's a very snobby lizard, um, of course. Uh, but he, he as my companion, it. the Red Prince as my companion, is so entertaining. Like, he'll be like, yes, this is a great environment to declare an audience and stuff like that. You yeah. Know, it's just so, so pompous. Um, but I, I find my party right now is the Red Prince, the snobby lizard, Fame, this very arrogant skeleton who is from this like ancient race of gods, but is now like actually just a skeleton. Are and you getting guy, are you getting papyrus vibes? Is that why you like him so much? Papyrus is a lot friendlier than Fane. Fane is like I like Fane because he's oddly kind of just like a normal dude, but is a skeleton. <laughs> and like kind of <laughs> arrogant. Great. You know, like when you talk to him, he's like, I must say, I was looking forward to having a smug advantage, not having skin and being having all these mosquitoes everywhere. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um and and this guy Ifan, who's like kind of boring, but he's just sort of there to round out the party. Um, I'm playing as Losa, who is introduced as like a medieval celebrity who is secretly possessed by like a lot of demons. And at one of her <laughs> concerts, that like <laughs> fucked up the whole show. And I was like, I love that idea. Because usually you're like, you know, I'm this unknown orphan with like a chosen purpose. But I love being a celebrity in this world, you know? Yeah. Like, so a lot of the dialogue options are like, I'm Losa. Like, don't you know who I am? Or, you know, stuff like that. And do people uh, frequently know who you are? Not 
where I am because I'm I'm like on a weird island of prisoners. So most people are like fuck off. <laughs> you know, like, you know, they don't really care. Or if they do, they're kind of weary because of like what happened at my last concert and why I'm wearing a source collar now. Yeah. Um, and I find that that's a really interesting character to play as because like the the fodder the magisters have for their like worldview is like source is too dangerous. So the fact that Losa is like constantly not even in control of herself and like there's one point where a demon inside me possessed me and my only dialogue options were like kill the elf kill the elf kill the elf over and over again wild and i and i had huh. to engage in battle while they like wanted to pacify me it was really interesting and i like that's i think the best mindset to go into this game with is like i just want to see what happens it's going to be a mess but like i need to see like how the narrative plays out because of who i've chosen to be that being said i think save often and, and never settle for like your companions dying because i think that's one of the reasons why i'm playing it is to see how all those stories play out and see right. how you know those characters grow to interact um like dragon age they'll sometimes chime in where like there's one quest early on where there's a camp of refugees is run by this really like really like bad dude is kind of a barbarian who asks you to find his stolen supplies and you find out that this lizard who is a dreamer who um it's kind of like a, a mystic like guide for the red prince the red prince is like hey if you find any lizards who are dreamers let me talk to them so often too your party mates will be like hey can i chime in and talk to this person here which i really enjoy that a lot uh but then you find the supplies you go back and your whole party's like don't tell the camp leader that the lizard stole it because he'll kill the lizard like we basically would be complacent in murder if we tell him who stole the supplies so like i stood my ground with my party and then we ended up fighting the boss and mm -hmm. uh it was a really just organic moment i felt compelled to like stand by my allies um those moments i think are what the, make the game shine um i think that sometimes sometimes i find myself being a little impatient with like oh my god can i just like do the thing like i'm at a point now where we're finally on a boat to get away from this awful island but the boat is made of elven wood that is alive that needs to be sung to in order to move and i'm like <laughs> can't we just be on a boat that goes away and like yeah. so i can see but at the end of the day that's that's an impatience of wanting to see more of the world and i think that like I should take the opportunity to be like, okay, well this is a time where I can talk more to the characters and learn more about the world and and uh, yeah, I I really am enjoying it. At this point, it's been out for a while, so you can probably get it for a decent price. It's coming to Switch, which honestly, I think it feels made for PC. Like I feel like even with the PS4 controls, I sometimes struggle with like zooming in and out to select the right character. I could see the touch controls on the Switch being really good for this game. Does it have touch um, controls on Switch? Because a lot of games that should have touch controls on Switch just like seem to not. I don't know. Um, but yeah. I think also the handheld nature of it could be fun with like how strategic it is. Yeah. Um, I feel like strategy games tend to play well on Switch, like Into the Breach and, yeah. and all that. That is but, where um, I just bought it, by the way. On Switch? Yeah. Yeah, let me know how it is. I uh, I think it would play well, and I, I'm just having the best time with it. I am really enjoying it. I'm glad I checked it out. Yeah, I. it sounds kind of challenging like it sounds like a challenging recommendation um which is interesting yeah. i i'm excited to check it out because i've heard so much about it um there are a couple podcasts I, I used to listen to that um talked about it pretty like at length uh kind of like right when it first dropped mainly in in terms of its open-endedness and that i i always found daunting but honestly like i feel like after playing dragon's dogma i could do anything uh so <laughs> i'm like yeah. really willing to give it a shot I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think Dragon's back. Dogma. I'll report back because yeah. I feel I feel like you are predisposed to like this game and me less so. And I think if we both land on it, it'll be more of a like definitely check this out kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, I find aspects of it challenging and I think that that's on purpose. I think that like, I think it's oddly more grounded than Dragon's Dogma. Dragon's Dogma has more accessible combat, I think, than this game. But the story
story of Dragon's Dogma, like you really don't feel a, you don't feel a, other than finding your heart back, you don't have a true reason to do anything in that game story wise. Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, whereas exactly. this game, I feel, I felt more compelled, at least with my companions, to like really see what's going on with them. And the fact that the, each character has like a story that will play out, whether you're playing as them or not, is really cool. Like that, that I think is what I'm most impressed by is how much thought was put into that. Mm. Really, really enjoying it. Yeah. Cool. But, I think this is a game where I can already feel like, okay, I feel like there's an audience that's really vying for games like this. But I also, I think at the end of the day, prefer slightly to the right of like the spectrum I made with like a Dragon Age or a Witcher 3. I think that's like a better balance of of freedom and execution. But I'm enjoying the like almost like rare hamburger of this (laughs) game's like, you know, like extreme freedom. Yeah. Uh, Whereas like I think Dragon's Dogma is like as rare as a hamburger can be without being illegal to serve <laughs> yeah uh, yeah completely yeah. yes that is yes completely agree yeah i, th- um, I think i think cool. you're right to compare this to dragon's dogma i think if you enjoyed that you'll at least enjoy elements of this and this is also a game where like i think once you feel like it has satisfied what you're looking for you can probably move on you know like i don't know if i'm gonna beat the whole thing but i'm enjoying like the day-to-day moments with the characters and i'm enjoying to see how their stories play out more than i am with the a plot that's interesting because one of the things that i found compelling about the idea of it just based on your description is that it seems like there are so many different ways to go through this game that oh, it, yeah. that it might actually be a cool thing to check out more than once um like okay so you started it with the ability to make it rain whenever you want but like what if you started with some other weird outside yeah. the box thing and like i did a thing uh just another example of like how intricate this game is i um I was sent on a quest by this leader of uh, Seekers, who are like the good guys, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like, hey, find this wand, and that will help us uh, escape the Magister's base, and we'll all get out okay. I found the wand, and I also met this dragon who was chained to the ground, and he was like, if you give me the wand, I'll be like free of this curse, basically. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to give the wand to the dragon. So I did. Yes. And the dragon was like, Thank you, my friend. Like, whenever you need my help, I'll be there for you. And I was like, how do I know? And he'll like, you'll know. Our, us dragons have a way of knowing. And flew away. I was like, holy shit. Uh, yeah. And bef- before I even did that, there was an area of the map where there, there are these creatures called Shriekers. This I always feel like my bully is right outside the door when, I'm, when I say anything about this game. Yeah, <laughs> like, I have, again, I have just things. been so floored by some of the, like, very casual vernacular you've dropped that is only like, in this game. Yeah, I've, like, suddenly... Like, oh, the red prince and the lizard. (laughs) I find the red prince most enthralling of all of them. Um, But, uh, yeah, I... (laughs) So I went to the the Shriekas, and it's seemingly impossible. They kill you in one hit. So it's like, Uh okay, I just can't do it. But I went back, and the drag... I saw the dragon's shadow on the ground, and he killed all of them. And, like, you know, roared in the distance. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. So... Your actions definitely have weight. You know, I think I think that's where it separates from the like the blue rare of Dragon's Dogma, where it's like, I feel like my actions are independent of what's happening in this world. Uh-huh. Um, this game is really accounting for what's going on. But a major NPC also might slip in ice. <laughs> so like <laughs> <laughs> you know, it has that it has that chaos to it, which I think you will like, yes. knowing how chaotic you are and and how you like seeing <laughs> kind of stories organically play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, Divinity Original Sin two. This is a game that's like really beloved. I didn't realize like how not that like that reviews should be the only metric, but like people really dug this. Who like this type of game? Yeah, um, it was pretty big. Really, yeah, really, really dug it. 
Yeah, um, I'm excited to check it out. It is downloading currently, so uh, I will report cool. back because this sounds like the kind of thing that we'd want to talk about again. Yeah, um, absolutely. And just like compare uh, and contrast our playthroughs and stuff. I'm still fairly early on, so I feel like I would enjoy uh, revisiting it again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Divinity Original Sin Two. Please don't take my lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> Toilet water is bad for my hair. All right. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Steven, at the end of our Goatee episode, we talked very, very, very briefly about 2020 uh, and what we were looking forward to and what was uh, coming down the pipeline and things like that. Um, I thought we could have a little bit of a longer conversation about it because um, there yeah. are more games that I'm excited about beyond just Animal Crossing, um, believe it or not, <laughs> that I'd like right. to talk about or at least talk about like just um, the year in general. Uh, now that we are in 2020, um, I am just worth noting, I'm referencing uh, an article by Polygon that is literally just Polygon's 50 most anticipated games of 2020 um, is the list that I'm working off of. Steven has written his own list, but just wanted to uh, talk about some stuff uh, that's coming out this year that I'm kind of like interested in, if not like totally sold on. Um, I think one uh, one big one is Ghosts of Tsushima, the uh, sucker punch game that is coming out for PlayStation 4 this year. It is like a third-person action-adventure game, uh, not unlike pretty much everything that is a first-party PlayStation 4 game that comes out <laughs> right, now. Right, yeah. Um, which is a really great E3 demo, like, back in 2018. I remember we talked about it a bit. Um, yeah. It looks beautiful. It looks really, really gorgeous. Uh, it's, you know, by the team that made Infamous, and I guess that would be Sly Cooper also is, is Sucker Punch, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's by that team. Um, I mean, it just looks incredible. It seems like this is going to be their last giant tentpole first party game before the PlayStation 5, I would imagine. Um, if those are actually coming out this year, which I have to assume they probably are. I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how it plays, um, not to compare and contrast to hardcore, but like, especially after playing Sekiro, um, like if this sword combat doesn't feel as good, like that's going to be a yeah, bummer. It's a, it's a tough act to follow. Again, I, I'm with you, right? I don't want to like immediately set the games against each other. Cause also Sekiro is like, I think unfair to compare most games to at this point. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's like an instant classic. Um, so I think there's going to be merit to both, but yeah, it is, it is like in the year following Sekiro, a tough act to follow yeah. seemingly grappling with similar themes based on what little we've seen of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another game I want to I, I want to talk about real quick is Gods and Monsters, that Ubisoft game that they showed off at the end of their E3 presentation. I forgot that that was coming out this year. Um, it's coming out for Switch, which is exciting, um, and has been said to be inspired by Breath of the Wild. Um, yeah, it's by the Assassin's Creed Odyssey team, which I've talked at length on this podcast about how much I loved Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Believe it or not, um, it just looks gorgeous it looks like a beautiful painterly world where you're gonna be taking out like big uh greek myth monsters it just seems like a bunch of stuff that they wanted to include in assassin's creed odyssey but couldn't uh and then turned it into like a beautiful breath of the wild adjacent game um yeah i'm excited to see if that is coming out this year and if it does if it's good or not yeah should be fun cool hopefully that's awesome do you have anything on your list you want to talk about? Oh yeah, I was gonna, I was surprised Minecraft Dungeons didn't make your list here. I, I'm I'm still going game. through the list. Oh. I, I haven't finished yet. <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. I I mean to throw light shade on you, honestly. Because the next game I was going to talk single, about was Minecraft Dungeons. Um, I am actually excited single, to check that game out. To be completely honest. Yeah, it looks fun. It looks really pretty. I was looking at the screenshot they have here, and yeah. uh, the lighting is nice. 
Um, it is. Yeah, uh, let me pull up my list real quick. I have I have this list you sent me as a reference as well. I mean, just like, n- n- I don't need to say any more about the FF7 remake, Last of Us Part Two, and Animal Crossing. Those are like the three kind of uh, like Adam and God pointing at each other painting uh-huh. games, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Fall from the Garden of Eden. Games I'm excited for, I, oddly kind of excited for, uh, oh, and Persona 5R, obviously. Yeah. March is a mess. Um, <laughs> what else do I have here? Sable, I'm really excited for. Uh, this is a game I was excited for last year. It was supposed to come out last year, but they delayed production. Uh, and I'm glad they did, because it was in the spirit of, like, we're taking the time we need to finish this, which I yeah. think is important, given the current climate. so pretty. Yeah. Um, it's it's by a lot of really cool people. Uh, soundtrack by Michelle Zahner of Japanese Breakfast. Um, I think the woman who worked on 80 Days, or one of the main writers, is also working on it. Oh, um, nice. We'll, we'll talk more about that game soon, but um, I'm really excited for Sable. Uh, it just looks beautiful, and I, I just can't wait to play it. Whenever it comes out, even if they need to take another year, I will I will continuously be excited for that game. Yeah, me too. What else? What else? Uh, Skatebird, Boyfriend Dungeon. Looks great. I'm into it. I am going out. Oh, Resident Evil 3 remake also looks really cool, especially after now that I played the remake of the second one. I'm like all in on the new Resident Evils. They're so good. Mm-hmm. I am going to guess. Uh, I'm, I am I made this claim in the discord. I'm going to put out in the air as well. Sure. I think Breath of the Wild 2 will come out this year. I have a hunch. I think it's going to be the end of the year game. Uh, my main fodder for this, and I think we'll know in like three months. I think we'll know like in the next Nintendo Direct or the one after if, if I'm if I am correct. Yeah. Um, I'm not the only one guessing if, this. If it, it is coming out this year, it will be their E3 game. Like yeah. it'll be the one yeah. that they're focused on and that'll be cool. And I think if that is the case, we'll know about it at least like a month or two beforehand yeah because i think you know like logistically i feel like it makes more sense to be 2021 but there isn't anything we know of that is like end of the year nintendo first party yet right um so i could see and and we do know that like it exists we had that like early trailer that it's in development i think also like three years between breath of the wild and this one is like around the same time that actually it's even more time than um majora's mask and ocarina were apart um so they're it's worth noting that breath of the wild too is going to be in the same engine so like well that's not like a huge i mean it is a huge thing because they're not building it from the ground up but like they still need to take the time they need right so i will be content whenever that game comes out because holy shit but yeah, me too. i have i have a weird feeling that it's going to be this year so obviously excited for that um what else do i have here a lot of stuff is like i don't think it will come out this year like starfield or elder scrolls 6 like i doubt that will be 2020 um, no they said elder scrolls 6 isn't coming out until after starfield so I imagine that yeah. would be like years after Starfield. Um, talking about following in Sekiro's footsteps, I am curious about Neo 2. I haven't played Neo 1, but like Neo 2 looks more appealing to me because you can make your own character. And like I'm just excited to see what they do with that sequel. And yeah, what else? Uh, that's basically it. I'm going to check out Persona 5 Scramble just for fun, but I'm not like super pumped for it. But it does look really cool. It looks like they're doing more with it. Oh, you're going to love it so I much. first thought. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I it's, uh, oh, it's I I just every time I see that game, I'm like, Steven's gonna love this. <laughs> and it's wild to me that you excited. don't think you're gonna love it. The fact that you're like lukewarm <laughs> on it is so incredible. I have to try to be chill sometimes. Uh, also, uh, sports story, uh, the follow up to golf story. Super pumped for that. Yeah, um, you I don't golf think story, golf story right? gets enough. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it gets enough credit. It came out like real early on Switch and like it's so funny and so talk about we talked about like how hard it is for a lot of games to be funny and that game is hilarious. Yeah. And like is a good golf game. I don't know what it is about golf becoming the like satirical peak of twenty nineteen and, and before. <laughs> but like what yeah. the golf, golf story, uh, desert golf, all great. Cool. Yeah. That's basically it for me. Uh, sorry I went on a little <laughs> long there. It's okay. I'm sorry. It's our, it's a podcast. We released 15 hours of audio last week, Stephen. I'll never talk about the Red Prince anymore. I'm sorry. I just like snobby lizards. Okay. Um, some other stuff that I'm excited about: Microsoft Flight Simulator. <laughs> believe it or not, is like yeah, a game yeah. that I'm actively looking forward to. It looks great. It looks um, awesome. Somebody posted a new trailer in the Discord for it, and the only response that I could uh, come up with was, "This is fucked up." <laughs> Like, it's incredible that this game is real and exists and looks like this. Um, I'm so excited to see it. And apparently it's going to be on Xbox, which is even wilder. So that'll be cool. Um, <laughs> it's just bizarre that that's coming out. Um, you mentioned Skaper. That's going to be cool. Spelunky 2 got delayed to this year. Um, I'm hoping that it still comes out this year. It, I mean, Spelunky is like, I think, one of the greatest games ever made. Um, the fact that there's a sequel, even if it is just more of the first with like a couple extra things, like that just means it's like a cool expansion on a thing that's already incredible. So that'll be fun. Um, yeah. Watch Dogs Legion comes out this year, potentially. Yeah. That that could be cool. I liked Watch Dogs 2 a lot more than I thought I was going to. The first one I reviewed for a site that we used to work for and really didn't like it. Um, and then 2 came out and was like just kind of goofy enough, I think, to um, I think settle into like the sheer absurdity of the conceit that you have a like a magical smartphone that can hack everything. Um, the second one being set in San Francisco, like in the Bay Area, in like the startup center of the world, I think was a really smart move um, and, and really paid off. So I'll be interested to see how this one pays off as like a kind of return to the darker vibe. But at the same time, they showed off the like old woman who is like kicking ass in their trailer. So maybe they haven't like totally left that behind. So yeah, I mean, that could be cool. Oh, part of me is more excited for that game than Cyberpunk, which I realize is a very hot take. But like there's I'm something you, yeah. about there's something about because they both have similar aesthetic and similar kind of like gritty nihilistic cyber society but the message at least in the trailer of watchdogs legion where it's like anyone can be a hero basically yes and like you're going to play as like this group of people to me just in the marketing appeals to me more than like you can hack this dude's head and shit on it it's like, I don't want, <laughs> you know like everything yeah. about the marketing like I, i'm gonna play cyberpunk and like i'm very open again we've we've done this before where like uh even spider-man like our very first test episode i was like i don't need more spider-man i'm so sick of like constant spider-man yeah and that was one of our favorite games it was our game of the year yes and death stranding we were like what is this it's a man in a field and a weird baby loved death stranding <laughs> so like i could very well love cyberpunk and you know like they have to market it in a way that maybe is not like true to the game's voice and i think that that's a game that is seemingly like you know in, in our conversations about player choice and all that it's seemingly trying to really highlight like the freedom of stuff you can do so i don't want to downplay like the ambition of that game because it looks it looks like really ambitious i just like worry about the and i'm not i'm not like oh violent video games but like it's just it just seems like very mean spirited yeah. like, in the in the marketing where i'm like i don't know if i need this in 2020 you know what i mean yeah like, totally. i don't know if i need to i don't know if i need to like hack someone's brain in 2020 <laughs> and all, i mean uh, it's also worth noting that like you and i played a chunk of but didn't finish or like 
love the witcher three like i think we both i finished witcher three. Oh, you did uh, oh, okay yeah i finished the main story i i i we talked about it in passing a lot um i think that that the story in the world i really liked i bumped up against a few things but i think that like it's a very well written really cool world I, like you i didn't enjoy the act of playing it yeah um and i don't That's think what worries i worries me about cyberpunk enough. more than anything else right right Right. It's like they um, I, I have tried playing The Witcher 2 also like I haven't I haven't seen from CD Projekt Red that I will enjoy the act of playing their game, which is, you know, as important, if not more important than everything else. The heart of Witcher 3 to me was the relationships Gerald had with some of the supporting characters. Like yeah. my favorite now moment you can in get that, that on the Netflix show starring Henry Cavill. So <laughs> I'm kind of tempted to watch it. Honestly, I, my mom is a huge I watched fan the pilot of pilot so far. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you like it? Um, it is absolutely absurd. It looks I'm like it looks like um, <laughs> shout out to uh, Persia, but um, she mentioned that it, it is uh, it looks like Henry Cavill was digitally inserted into the show after the fact. Like he looks so <laughs> different than everyone else. It is so bizarre to see him standing in any scene um, compared to everyone else who looks like they were told they're in a Game of Thrones episode. I've also like I've also considered reading the books, too, because, again, like I like the world a lot. Yeah. Like it's it's fantasy medieval for forensics which is great and like right my favorite moments of witcher 3 are like getting drunk with your buddies at the hideout or um you know playing getting into a snowball fight with siri or like trashing this elf's laboratory with yennefer like those are the moments that like really and and to be fair those moments have levity and weight because of how dour the world is like i think you know mm -hmm. the fact that this world has an ounce of hope in it because of characters like siri i think is what makes those moments so beloved but i don't know if cyberpunk is gonna have any of that <laughs> it looks like just just nihilistic which is why i'm not interested in it really yeah you know yeah and um, that's subjective like i don't want to downplay i think even though you that's our probably our hottest take is like kind of being a little bit ambivalent on witcher 3 again like i can recognize why that had such a huge impact in 2015 and like i still think that game does like i mean i mentioned it earlier as like a point of like this is how to do player choice and dialogue and all that stuff um but like there are some things even within the game story that i kind of bumped up against so like you know it's it's a it's a i enjoyed seeing the story through to the end and i really fell in love with a lot of the characters but like not to the same degree as like a dragon age or a mass effect for me mm -hmm. um which again is again those are those are like top tier it's it's you don't want to compare every game to that because that's like one of the best but but i think you know. i think they were asking for those comparisons right right so right. I, I don't i don't think they're too out of the realm of of uh of possibility um yeah i i'm with you i'm with you on cyberpunk i mean the, the wildest thing about that game to me is that it's coming out in april like that is like it's soon oh wow yeah it's just kind of like in the beginning early half of the year uh which is why i'm gonna need time man i mean one april's airy season it's my birthday i'm gonna do what i want two uh, <laughs> that's uh ff7 remake animal crossing and persona 5 will have come out in march i'm gonna need time and then last of us part two is in in may so like stand in line cyberpunk yeah. Um, Unless it comes out and people are like, this is the greatest video game of all time. Well, OK, maybe, maybe not that. But like unless unless people like you just really need to play it, I, I think I will probably hold off on it for a while. Um, yeah, but we'll see. It, I don't be, know. Curiosity yeah. might get the better of me. It happens all the time. We also have the whole year. Like, we don't need to play things as they come out. You know what I mean? So yeah. like we can check that out at the end of the year if we find that it's a slower period. Yeah. This year was like I feel like we had a slow start. And then like September and on, it was like, how about this? <laughs> Here's eight more games. You don't yeah. have 
time for. <laughs> um, I'm the Red Prince. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm really excited. This is going to be. I'm. I. I feel like not to not to jump ahead to Game of the Year in January, but I'm really curious to see how this because our 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 lists were so similar. Uh, this past year. I'm curious to see what happens coming ahead of us, you know? Yeah, I mean, Nintendo's gonna have to, like, really fuck up for me to not have Animal Crossing as my <laughs> game of the year. There's also, like, I mean, I, I, you're you're a big fan of it, but, like, I'm I'm right up there with you in terms of enjoying that game. But yeah. it's gonna be tough with yeah. uh, Avalanche coming back. Um, um, some other stuff real quick that I think is worth touching on. Um, Half-Life Alex is coming out, which is a prequel yeah. to, I think it's a prequel to Half-Life 2, or yeah, yeah, it's, it's set between Half-Life and Half-Life 2. Um, it is only for uh, VR and the minimum specs are like so exorbitant that I don't think anyone will be able to play it. So I'm excited um, for Valve to release a single player video game. But I don't know. I don't know how this is going to how this is going to be like a viable thing to exist yeah. out in the world. Like I it just I it's it's great for people who are big fans of Half-Life and who have wanted Half-Life 3 for a long time. Um, but I imagine most of them don't have the kind of rig that is necessary and probably also don't have the actual literal thousands of dollars that you would need to upgrade your computer, get the um, headset and the gloves that you need, and then also move into an apartment or a house that has an extra room that's big enough that you can devote just to playing Half-Life Alex. Like, if you have all of those <laughs> things, I'm sure it'll be yeah. an incredible experience because I don't think Valve sure. would, would be making it and releasing it if it wasn't going to live up to the, like, absolutely absurd expectation of a new Half-Life game. But I just I I'm I'm just like flabbergasted I, I guess at the strategy of of making this the game like I it it weirds me out and it'll almost be more upsetting if it's great you know because it, because it's <laughs> so paywalled get, yeah. from right. people like like you can I, I don't know there, the idea of monetizing video games. Uh, is a thing that people bump up against all the time and we talk about all the time with like loot boxes and like predatory shit and like there's nothing more predatory to me than saying the next Half-Life game, the thing you've been waiting over a decade, maybe even two decades for, is a thing that you're going to have to at minimum drop three to $5,000 on. Ridiculous. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's, that that, yeah. that to me is fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. And on top of all of that, and maybe this is where all of my negativity is coming from, and I'm sorry for being so negative about it, but the fact that they absorbed Campo Santo, one of my favorite developers, and then killed off the game that they were working on to, so they could work on Half-Life Alex, and like that might have been in the choice of Campo Santo and like if that's on them like that's cool that they wanted to do that but that's a huge bummer because I think what they were doing was special and interesting um, and and the way they were kind of highlighting representation was was um, necessary and good and now that's dead for a new Half-Life game yeah no I, I get your frustration there for sure that's very sad to hear honestly uh, yeah I mean I, I'm with you I don't really have anything to add to that and I, I wish I had like a <laughs> A, a ribbon to wrap around all that like well uh, every cloud has a silver lining but you know we'll see I mean we'll see how the game is and hopefully you can make it more accessible than having that gigantic paywall that's that's frankly ridiculous I'm with you with that it's like there there is a degree of that for I think video games in general even down to like having the retail price be $60 and we've talked about how that's like kind of benefiting no one even the developers are not making like no one's making their money back charging that much right. you know what I mean yeah. um, and now that the developers are, are pricing the games they're the ones making it but 
but I think I'm optimistic about stuff like Game Pass in terms of at least consumer accessibility. I think you and I have, have kind of become fans of that over time. Yeah. Uh, still more info to gather on that, but I, I, I hope that there for every action there is an opposite reaction and hopefully there's just more accessibility across the board in response to stuff like that you know yeah halo infinite is another game that's coming out <laughs> next year it's gonna be a launch title for the new xbox uh um, tower x series x definitive edition for the nintendo switch i oh i wish i am excited to see what this halo game ends up being i am uh, a person who has talked at length about how much i like halo 5 um the trailer that they showed off for the new halo game looked very much like just a classic ass halo game and not the destiny-esque um pseudo mmo games of service thing that i was expecting expecting it to be so i'll be interested to see what it shows up as but just the idea that there are new consoles coming out this year um that microsoft is launching the series x which is like this big like horrific pc gaming tower looking thing with like a frightening green mordor-esque light shooting out of the top um and stuff is cool uh but also that there's going to be a less powerful version that'll also get you into the next generation of consoles like that they're going to potentially launch with more than one version of the thing um at different price points i think is nice um also yeah, especially in, in response to what we just brought up with Alex that's great that Microsoft is doing that you know yeah um, and yeah. and that also like goes down to uh, the digital edition of things where like they can even lessen the cost by removing the optical drive from it if you are comfortable just downloading games and then honestly the uh, step past that that they're working on their own cloud gaming service that is not uh, super unlike uh, Stadia or whatever that'll allow you to play your games anywhere it's called Project X Cloud I have seen it in action um, a couple people in my office are in the like tests for it it is amazing it rules it works so well i'm so surprised by it um and it just allows you to play all of your maybe not all of your games but a chunk of your games and at least everything on game pass uh wherever you are so you could potentially then if they release apps for mac and everything else and pc and, and whatnot take your games everywhere and not even need to buy the new console to awesome. to get access to that stuff which is cool. and it's a uh... It's backwards compatible with 360, right? All, all the older games? Yeah, backwards compatible with Xbox One and 360, and all of your peripherals from the Xbox One will work with the new series um, or with that the new rules. stuff. Yeah. I think I might get it, honestly. I, I was like kind of up in the air of whether I was going to buy it, but like, I mean, I can play Oblivion finally. That's really all I need. Finally. Um, yeah. Finally. I'm, uh, I'm seeing, honestly, like the way Phil Spencer's been running the Xbox division of Microsoft has been like pretty good, honestly, like since their, yeah. since their major fuck up of the introduction of the Xbox one, they've like time and time again, kind of proven that they like get it. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see where that ends up, especially after the reveal of the PlayStation five, which like, I think they've been kind of resting on their laurels because they were so successful this generation because of Microsoft's big fuck up, um, yeah. that they didn't really need to be super competitive, um, in like the innovation space. All they've really done which is incredible is have like just an unbelievable lineup of first party games to keep people locked into PS4. Um, yeah. And that I'm sure is a thing that is still in the works. I mean, I'm an employee of Marvel, Disney, whatever they bought uh, Insomniac games. And, and now like the Spider-Man games are going to be exclusive to uh, PlayStation from now on, uh, which is cool and exciting. Um, I'm sure we'll see sequels to God of War and all of the other things that have been successful. So like they're all, still going to have Dog that stuff, but I, yeah. but I wonder what the console will be like, is it going to, it's weird to me that these consoles are just like flat plane video game consoles. 
You know, like at the beginning of this generation, there was so much there was so much uh, narrative surrounding the idea of like the Xbox One with its connect as like the hub for all of your entertainment shit, which like people didn't really want. They just wanted a video game console. Um, the PlayStation 4 kind of like rebutted against that, but also included like a, a download or sorry, a, um, a network chip that was like specific for downloading stuff and uploading stuff and like keeping you connected and online in a, in a better capacity, which ended up not working, which was kind of hilarious um, in the long run. But like, I'm wondering what the next thing is that everyone's going to try and kind of like cling to as like, this is what next generation means. Or is it literally just like better graphics card? Like, is that it? Yeah. I mean, you brought up a great point with like the share button being that big innovative thing for for PS4 and, and Xbox One. Yeah. Um, and I would agree with that. I wonder if Sony will ever do handhelds again because you and I both always sing the, the bittersweet songs of the Vita. And like it's the best. I would kind of like to see that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they just never do it again, especially given the Switch's success. And like, you know, competing with the Switch and mobile at this point is kind of rough. Um, yes. Even Nintendo can't compete with the Switch, which is why they stopped the 3DS, you know, like Mm -hmm. no one else is doing handhelds. Uh, And that's like, that has been Nintendo's market from day one, even in the the dark ages of the year of Luigi and the Wii U, where they lost $500 million (laughs) because of Luigi. I love Luigi, but like, never forget. Yeah, I I just wonder if that's like at all on the market for them. Uh, Not that I even really need it, because I feel like, I think the reason why the Vita kind of flopped was because like, despite the really great library of of certain games, stuff like Persona 4 Golden and and, um, like Spelunky and all that, there were a lot of like, sort of, uh, like the original Game Boy had this thing where they would kind of like make minimized versions of console games. So like, you would have Mario Land instead of Mario World because of the, you know, limited processing power. Yeah. And I think the the PSP and the Vita kind of did that with PlayStation where it's like, well, why do I, why would I want to play like a scaled down version of this game, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we'll see what happens with that. I'm just like, I don't know what that would even, even look like. I'm just wondering if that's like at all on the horizon. I would love that. Um, and and on that note, we might, who knows, potentially see like a new Nintendo Switch or like just kind of a Switch Pro or something along those lines to kind of balance out that family of consoles. Um, yeah. Which would be really fascinating. But this Switch is a yeah. skateboard. This one's a skateboard. You could put wheels on this one. And that's how you play skateboard. <laughs> oh, I would love that. Yeah, me too. Um, I actually have a couple more games and then we'll wrap up. Um, sure. Elden Ring is something too that's like a, a bunch of question marks, but I am excited. Uh, it's 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 slated to come out in 2020. We'll see if that happens, but yeah, just like excited to see what that looks like, especially again, like in Sekiro's wake, like seeing what the next from soft game is. And like, I, I, from what I've read, it sounds like they're kind of doubling down on the RPG aspect. So like, I imagine it will have extensive character customization and probably more online play because I think that like Sekiro went in the opposite direction. So like just to kind of round things out, I could see them doing that. Um, but regardless, I'm just excited to see like what it is. I'm also excited. I don't know if I brought this up, but Boyfriend Dungeon looks great. Yeah, uh, yeah, you brought it up, but yeah, not in depth. That game looks so good. Yeah, I can't wait. And uh, in in the spirit of me getting back into fighting games slowly but surely, uh, there's a new Guilty Gear coming out as well. Um, this is made by the people who made Dragon Ball Fighter Z. I think it's Guilty Gear Strive. Yeah. Um, that's one that's like kind of just like let's see what this is kind of thing it's a bit daunting because that's like that is a fighting game community where if you aren't like practicing every day you just don't stand a chance yeah <laughs> but I, I i think i like the way they design games and I'm, i'll probably check it out and talk about it one day 
Yeah. And cool. that's basically it. Yeah. Uh, 2020 is exciting. I think uh, I'll, I'll close this out the same way we closed it out in the Goatee one, which um, is pretty much like looking at the list of Goatee games from last year, or at least my top 10. Uh, most of those games were things we didn't know existed at this point yeah. in last year. Yeah, exactly. So like there's so much on the horizon that we don't know about. There was an article yesterday that was uh, a report that uh, Nintendo has a bunch of Wii U ports in the works for Switch, which I'm excited about which just like raises a bunch of questions about you know what could be on the horizon because like there's kind of a smaller and smaller list of potential things super mario 3d world wonderful 101 star fox zero which like who knows maybe they'll try and resurrect it and release it again which would be hilarious Ugh. either of Star-Hark these Zelda Zero, ports no. Twilight Princess or Wind Waker coming out on Switch would That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, I don't know. There's just like so much potential for that. So I'm, I'm excited about it. And also it's worth noting that uh, it's been 20 years since Waluigi was introduced. So we're in the year of Waluigi. <laughs> I just saw a tweet oh, yeah. about that the other day and it's worth noting that like just a ton of people sent it to me which is how you know your brand is strong um, but yeah excited for the year of Waluigi hopefully he gets added to I'm, Smash this year I'm jealous of your brand because you get texts about Waluigi I get non-stop texts about Cats 2019 <laughs> <laughs> or just like weird links and someone be like I don't know I thought of you just like don't throw this at me yeah. <laughs> don't throw like <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Exciting. Exciting stuff. And I, I agree. Like, what is most exciting is that we don't know what's coming out. Yeah. Um. So, really cool stuff. You want to move back to the show and talk about the next game? Yeah, I love when we do a break and it's as long as our normal segments. It's fun. Yeah, like when we talked about cats. No, yes, exactly. Yeah, I, that's the um, theme of this year. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's head back. Okay, see you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, Steven, before we talk about your game, I just want to mention something really quick that I meant to mention before. We've, we've talked about AI Dungeon a couple times in this episode, or at least like referenced it. Um, yeah. I just want to give a shout out to uh, some of my friends, Callie and Elle. Shout out if you're listening. The three of us like locked ourselves in a room for like an hour and a half to two hours on New Year's Day uh, and just played a AI Dungeon like as a group for about two hours. And it was so fun. I just want to recommend that as like a thing for people to do. Download AI yeah. Dungeon on your phone. It's available for Android and iOS uh, or go on the website and play it online. It is so fun to play in a group. So the three of us played it for a while and then we like went downstairs to where everyone else was hanging out and we just did like a giant group AI dungeon adventure. Yeah. And it was so, so fun. fun. Uh, That game as a crew just feels infinite um yeah it's like honestly wild to play that game sometimes because it just seems like it can respond to literally everything and there are obviously like you know cracks in the armor that you're gonna have to fuck around with but every once in a while you just hit a groove where like you and the game are so on the same level um (laughs) yeah (laughs) that that it, it it just uh like elevates itself to to something that I, I kind of can't believe. Um, it's also worth noting that in the iOS version, at least, I don't know if this is true everywhere, um, they have added a mode that's called Explore, where you can go through and see, like... Uh, pre-made adventures that other people have been creating because like you can create custom prompts and stuff and there are ways to post the the custom prompts that you've come up with um, and just like fuck around with other people's prompts and you can like vote them up or down or comment on them and say like okay here's like a cool thing to do so like just as an example I did one the other day that was called you are an avocado and and the prompt was you are an avocado you are ripe you have a medium-sized pit you are sitting in a bowl you cannot move feel speak or think you are an avocado you have always been an avocado and that was the prompt and then you just had to play as an avocado they can't do anything (laughs) 
Um, and it was so <laughs> funny and stupid. Um, and there are just like yeah, a ton of those. That's but anyway, I just want to give that like quick shout out um, because AI Dungeon just like continues to be the gift that uh, is giving. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's really fun. It's worth noting too that the app I think runs significantly better than the browser did, at least for me. Way like I better. had a lot of crashes. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's uh it's really worth checking out. It's so cool. Yeah. Um another game worth checking out. Uh this is a game that alongside I would say like Control and Sekiro were like the common games of the year across many outlets. Yes. Um this is like the game that would have won the Spirit Award that everyone was like, it should have gotten the Oscar, but it won't. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it is it is Outer Wilds, mm-hmm. um, uh, another game published by Annapurna. I honestly think 2019 will go down as like the year of Annapurna based on like this, Sinar Wild Hearts. Like so many great games came out of Annapurna last year. Wadham, uh, not to say the least. Yeah. So yeah, th- this is a game where I, we ended the, the Goaty episode with like, addressing some games that we were kind of bummed that we missed and the two for me were uh, disco elysium and outer wilds um yeah for some reason i just never got around to it throughout the year just like other games and and like never really knew what it was like i also purposely wanted to go in as blind as possible but which also, is the way to do it yeah absolutely yeah so obviously we'll get into some slight spoilers here but uh it is it is a really special game. I, I, I really feel like, um, not to like backtrack to lists too much, but I feel like this would have probably been on my list in some way. I'm not sure where, because like I, I felt so strongly about the top 10 that I chose, but like just in terms of like games worth highlighting from last year and games worth highlighting like in recent memory, this is absolutely one of them. It is like if you fused... Groundhog Day with 2001 A Space Odyssey and like Wes Anderson's Yellow Font. You would get this game. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it is uh, another another Annapurna game that's kind of really aided by the soundtrack. Um, this game has a very acoustic and banjo-centric soundtrack. Yeah, um, which I've been listening to a lot over the past yeah, me couple too. months. It's yeah. really beautiful. There's a song, the, the theme song, Outer Wilds. I have a theory that like, there's just a certain tempo in songs that it will just make you cry no matter what. And like <laughs> mm-hmm. this song emulates the same kind of rhythm as the Undertale theme song, which is the same kind of rhythm as uh, One Summer Day from Spirited Away. Like all three of those songs just like fuck me up in a, in a way I can't describe. Yeah. Um, but this game like pretty much immediately I was like, oh, this is really something special. Uh, it begins, you are an alien who's living on this very zen, relaxing kind of... Uh, like, if you made a cozy campfire into a planet, that's the planet you start on. Yeah, it's called Timber um, Hearth, which I think says everything that you need to say about it. <laughs> Everything is wooden, and uh, even your spaceship is like quasi organic, which I think is 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 worth pointing out with the theme of the game. But um, you talk to a bunch of aliens there, and they're all like, "Oh, cool! It's your big day. You're going into space." And it's kind of <laughs> funny because they're all like, "Your sh- ship might blow up," just so you know. Like, no one's like really super confident with like how safe this is. Yeah, but like seemingly, it's a rite of passage to like go into space one day. That right. seems to be like a fairly like. Even though it's like very limited, uh, the resources are all like wood and timber. But, you know, so the beginning of the game is you just sort of walk around and that way it almost is setting up in kind of kind of like I, I would draw a lot of comparisons to Firewatch and like other quote unquote walking simulators in the beginning of this game where it's like almost all 
just talking to people and enjoying the surroundings, like learning about the world. The one of the first places you go to is an observatory, which is also kind of like a museum that has all these artifacts from space. And uh, eventually you get the launch codes for your spaceship. And as you leave with the launch codes, this this statue of a head of like an ancient alien race looks at you and you see everything you did kind of flash before your eyes and uh you're like okay that was weird and you talk you can talk to people about it and they're like are you okay like you are going into space like are you sure you're good to go right uh like like now is maybe the worst time for you to have some kind of like (laughs) hallucinatory experience yeah yeah so uh but you go into your ship you blast off and like just just the animation of like seeing the change and and hue of the sky and and like as you break through the atmosphere this game really accomplishes what i think games like no man's sky partially did with just having like you really get immersed in the sense like oh shit like i am in outer space now like i can't it, it you have to play it to really feel it but like that aided by the sort of like clunky ship controls which i would argue actually aid the experience of also being in this ship like made out of wood. <laughs> right. Uh, and as soon as you break the atmosphere, you can kind of go to any planet you want. I would recommend they kind of nudge you to go to the moon first, which is like, I think it's called like Brittle Rock or something. Yeah. Or no, that's another planet. It's pretty, it's, um, it's just like a moon though. Yeah. Yeah. There's like one dude who lives there who's kind of lonely, but he whistles by a campsite and like that, that planet has the best logical next step from like what you've experienced because like, you know, it's a little bit daunting. The, the gravity is actually, actually so low that I accidentally skipped out of orbit and like crashed into like a comet and died. That was like my first death. Oh my God. Amazing. Whenever you die, it, it, shows you the face of that statue and you wake up by the campfire. So that's when you kind of learn that you're in a Groundhog Day loop. The big thing um, that is the conceit of the game is that uh, the sun supernova is 22 minutes in. So when that happens, kind of like Majora's Mask, like there's sort of an internal game clock where the end of the world happens and then you have to start from the beginning again. But you do retain all the info you had. So the first thing you notice is that you always have your launch code. So like whenever you wake up by the fireplace with that one alien, you can just go right to your ship. And the main conceit of the game is you're just exploring these planets. You learn that, okay, the sun's going to supernova pretty soon. Maybe I can work to prevent that from happening. And you go to planet to planet and uncover uh, these ruins and, and read a lot about other explorers that were there and what happened. And you learn about this ancient race that was sort of looking for like answers in the universe. Um, that's all very fun to acquire and all very interesting. But the thing that really seals the deer for me is just the sense of, of atmosphere. And like this game is scary. I was not prepared to be as scared yeah, by this man. game as I, as I was like, there's one planet I did a stream of it and I literally jump. There's one planet that looks like it looks, and, and this is a theme throughout the game of like, I think it's, it's very conscious that everything on your planet is wooden because there's this theme of like, of uh, renewal through flame there's a right next to the sun there's the twin project and there's one that's like ash and ember Mm -hmm. and they're kind of rotating and there's one planet that looks like your home planet but like torn apart and they're all these like kind of tangled roots and weird like 
foggy gateways. And if you go into that, you end up in what looks like the deep sea, but fog. And there's a giant angler fish that just like is real scary because yes. <laughs> you're not expecting it. And, and the, with, with the clunky controls of the ship, like you really feel like, oh my God, like anything is possible in this, in this galaxy. There's only like five planets, which again is, is uh, we've talked about this a lot with games like Outer Worlds, ironically, and um, Short Hike, uh, which this has Short Hike energy despite how cosmic it gets. Yeah. Where like you can do so much with less than you need to or think you need. I feel such a scale of like just just the sense of unknown and the sense of both majesty and horror that awaits you in this galaxy. There are really kind of grounded bittersweet moments like running into that guy on the moon by the fireplace. There's the anglerfish. There's a planet that slowly just breaks apart as time passes, and in the middle is this like space gate to the edge of the galaxy. Yeah, um, just a black hole. Yeah, and, it just sucks the whole planet in. And what's really eerie is like you have some instruments, like you have a this thing that can pick up like frequencies, and a lot of things give off. So like if you do that to the entrance of the of the tangled root, oddly enough, harmonica is coming out of it, mm-hmm. and it matches the song that the guy on the moon is whistling. So I'm like. There's something happening with the music and like with the planets aligning that might be the key to saving this galaxy. So you kind of pick up on that. And that way also kind of feels weirdly like a detective game where you're like picking up on clues and trying to figure out what to do organically. Also, as daunting as the universe is, like I sometimes find the most interesting stuff when like my ship breaks and I fall out of orbit and I just land on a planet and discover <laughs> like a Kubrickian monolith that's giving off an ominous like, ooh, like it's... Yeah. Really, really, you're just discovering things constantly. And and I just think the, the that sense of exploration is done so well in this game. Uh, the, just, just the flying around in the galaxy and that, like, uneasy. I actually struggle, like, this is a game that I almost appreciate more when I'm not playing it. Because sometimes I'm either so stressed out or so scared or so, like, saddened by things in this game that it's, like, hard for me to play for more than, like, an hour. Um, yeah, I had the same the same issue with it. Yeah. I, I, I like, there's a planet where um, I had this weird fear of heights, but only when I'm looking up. This is in real life. Like, when I'm, I never liked watching fireworks as a kid because when I can only see the sky and nothing is anchoring me, like, there are no trees or no buildings, I feel suddenly I'm like, oh, shit, I am on a rock in space. And, like, mm-hmm. I, I lose faith in gravity and I get very anxious. Um, and this game gives me that feeling constantly. Oh, man. Uh, there's one there's one planet that I think is the most beautiful called, um, I think it's like Giant's Deep or something. Yes. It's green. And when you break through the planet's surface, you realize it's just thunderstorms and tornadoes. It's very scary. Yeah. But there's a little pocket of land that like, you can kind of get your feet on and feel okay. But randomly, gravity will just pull all the water away from the planet. And you're just this tiny hunk of land in space and there's no gravity and your ship might fly away. And then the storm comes back and it's like so disorienting, but in a way where you feel this unknown majesty of the universe. I I really think that this game is just like, I can see why it was a lot of people's game of the year. I think it's doing something in the medium that is so unique and it's balancing tone. And that's something that I, that I bring up uh, with games like Undertale and with games like uh, Guildlings and, and other RPGs where like, there's this very grounded sense of humor and like the characters are all really likable, but there's also this like really dark environment. And I think that's something that I like in games where it's like, I like, the characters having brightness to them but the setting being very cruel so that that clash really works for me and 
there's something so refreshing about as like cosmic and mysterious and scary as the galaxy is when you wake up again next to that friendly alien by the fireplace you can tell him like dude the supernova is gonna happen like 22 minutes he's like yeah i know i read about that in the museum i'm just here to eat marshmallows <laughs> yeah and like there's almost a calm like a almost has like a, a all-knowing energy but it's chosen just to like chill it's like okay well the universe is gonna end i'm just gonna relax on this planet yeah i don't want to go to the anglerfish planet thank you very much <laughs> um yeah i i'd recommend it uh if you if you really are interested in what the medium of games are doing to tell a story i think it's it's oddly like at its core like firewatch where a lot of it is like light puzzles and you know just soaking in a story through the environment but coupled with like the exploration and and the spaceship stuff that like kind of gives it more of a game feeling than i think a lot of walking simulators feel like i think it's really really special and like the soundtrack is just so good and like the whole game just makes me feel so deeply sad but like in a way of like i can't like it affects the way i see the world i know that sounds hyperbolic but like it affects how I feel like walking around in my day-to-day life in a way that only few games have. Um, what about it is making you feel sad? Like what what tangential <sighs> stuff is happening that, that you're walking away with like a bum feeling? Because to me, a lot of this game feels optimistic and hopeful and like the... the like, oh, it is. The, like the original intention of NASA in a way where like, oh, wow, space is so big and vast and anything is possible and isn't it cool that we get to like be explorers? And the game is so about uncovering truths um, and 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 finding questions and, and being okay with a question um, as your reward for doing something. Like being okay with, with finding a thing and saying, I have no idea why this is the case, but I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm seeing it and then finding out four hours later why that is the case you know 16 loops in after you've fallen into the black hole 14 times and then you finally land on one little piece of fucking rock that gives you the answer to that question you asked yourself four hours ago like that that is the stuff that really I think um, draws me to this game and it's a thing that it feels so fresh and new and interesting and I think the reason why so many people are like connecting to it is is the idea that the central loop of the game is purely about discovery and not about narrative the idea that like they built a whole game around the idea that if we can if we can create an environment that is so compelling and and mysterious and confusing and wild people will want to explore it um even though there is no real reason to do so and and you just brought that up brilliantly with the marshmallow guy who like knows the the fucking world is going to end in 22 minutes and is just content spending every single 22 minute loop in his weird groundhog day life just roasting marshmallows by a campfire he's so content with that and like who are you to decide that that loop should end that his like peaceful shit should end you know like you don't you don't know and you can also join him in you can roast marshmallows with him if you want you right know? Like exactly you, you could spend a loop doing that that could be that and it, it almost has that undertale uh side of it where it's like what what why are you the person who should go out and explore this galaxy and figure out how it works? Like maybe it's okay that it's just this, you know, it, which I think is, is really interesting. Like it takes the idea of player agency, um, which is a thing that we've talked about a lot, I think recently on the show um, and kind of turns it on its head in a way where like the more you find out about, about the solar system and and how it works kind of like a a pocket watch with all of its cogs and stuff in place and how every 22 minutes like every planet shifts in such a way where things become accessible and inaccessible and whatever like that's that's just how life is um and and for you to go out and say i'm going to solve life is like maybe maybe not the 
move. It's worth noting that I haven't finished this game. I don't know how it ends, uh, but that's kind of like my takeaway from it at the moment. It's kind of why I've been like a little bit reticent about going back is like the more the more I discover, the better it feels. But the more I question why I'm doing it, mm, because because although there isn't a narrative, there is like a loose like lore, which I don't think we've ever had this discussion on the show. The difference between like story and lore in a video game or in any medium honestly but like this game has a lot of lore and doesn't have a lot of story and the more about the lore i i figure out um the more i learn that this like ancient race that existed and and i don't think this is spoiling too much but like this this ancient race that existed you know kind of had a little bit of like scientific hubris about them um and and maybe started like doing some things that you know with without understanding what they were doing, started experimenting in ways that like have, you know, irreversibly fucked up their own race and, and the galaxy as a whole. And like, Mm -hmm. it starts to make me wonder why I'm playing the game, um, which maybe is intentional, maybe is unintentional, but I'm, I'm just excited to see how it ends. Cause I've heard that the end of this game is wonderful and that's kind of what I want to get to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I second all of that. Um, going back to why it makes me sad. It doesn't make me sad in like a fallout three way where it's like, Oh, this environment's so harrowing. It makes me sad. in like a, I can't stand how beautiful life is. I can't, I can't bear <laughs> to look, you know, yeah, like okay. it makes me sad in a way where it just like, like there's this, there's the music that plays when you first are walking around the like home planet and you're just talking to people yeah it's so like good. there there's a i think it, it i i haven't read the play in a very long time but there's a play called our town and there's a moment where characters who have passed away like have the ability to look back on their lives mm. and they can't bear it because they know how things play out and they're like i can't stand watching us not be grateful for every moment we had this i might be remembering that incorrectly but that's the feeling i got when i read it like in high school Mm -hmm. um and that's how i feel as a player with this where i'm like you beautiful idiots like just enjoy life don't try to go to space um (laughs) and and like there's something about that sense of gravity and that sense of like disorientation that like literally I felt maybe this is more of a physical thing, but I felt like I was standing in the shower after I played this game and I felt so uncentered. I felt so like, Oh my God, I felt like my, uh, I just, I just felt like I took that sense of like questioning and that sense of, uh, soaking in my environment to my real life after I play this game. Mm-hmm. And I was so like just dizzy with wonder and like grateful and scared and sad. And like, uh, you just feel like everything with this game. Um, I'm struggling to put it into words. I, I do also feel a very strong sense of like, I think the reason they make that home planet as comforting as it is, is it's so nice to return to it. Like mm-hmm. that return home, you almost, it's weird. The supernova is almost comforting in a weird way. We're like, cause the light is blue. Like it's not like this fiery death. Like it's this blinding blue light. That's oddly peaceful. And then you wake up again. Right. It's much more daunting to do what I did on the stream where I accidentally just skyrocket out of my shit for hitting an asteroid and I die <laughs> out of no oxygen just in the middle of space. Yeah. But what's, there's so much attention to detail with that. Where like, if you die of no oxygen, when you wake up again at the beginning of the time loop, like your character takes a deep breath. Mm-hmm. They're like, <gasps> yeah. and like you see the same thing. It's really, really cool. Also just a, a small note. I really love the design of the aliens themselves. I like immediately. They're so good. The minute I saw, yeah. The minute I saw their faces, I'm like, Oh, I'm all in. I love these guys. Yeah. Uh, they got four eyes. Great smile. Can't go wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I really love this game. I think it would be, I don't want to like retcon my list too much, but I think I probably would have found a space for it somewhere 
it's really it's really something special i think i think i would recommend it to pretty much anyone if you if you are interested in what games are doing as like a unique medium um but it is like emotionally heavy like it is just a very like and it, and, and not in a direct way like it's not in like a, a last of us way where you're like oh my god my heart it's just like well, i don't know why this is fucking me up but it is mm-hmm. <laughs> like i feel immediately nostalgic and grateful and scared when i play this game yeah uh yeah, it really, it really, it really captures what I think makes movies like 2001 special too, where like just the sudden unknown of like, you know, you're going through this warp gate and then suddenly you're in like a weird Victorian living room, like <laughs> seeing the angler fish in like a root of a tree was such a weird decision, mm. but it was so like, so dreamlike and so scary. This game is very surreal in a way that really pays off. And I think it truly captures like the majesty of both dreams and outer space and combining the two combining like, I mean, there's a lot to tie to like the ambition and the actual dreams of the scientists to like what the reality of space is and how that kind of meshes in like a dreamlike slash nightmarish environment. And just coupled with the music is like such a weird choice to have like, uh, or not weird, but like the, the choice of having a ship made of wood and the soundtrack largely acoustic and like banjo centric in this sort of sci-fi setting, I think is such a cool clash and you never really lose that like campfire setting. Even when you're in like a Kubrickian monolith, it feels like it's also purposeful in its, in its direction, both in sound and visual. I, 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 I think this game is just so, so special and so lovely and I can't wait to see it through to the end. Yeah. I think, um, I could see us doing like a little spoiler segment on this game when we, both finish it yeah once we both finish it yeah we'll definitely talk about it again i think yeah but it's so good um it's i played it on xbox because it was part of game pass um i tried to start it again last night and was very bummed out to find that my save file has been deleted somehow um so so i need to explore why that is happening that's the next great puzzle i have to solve in outer wilds (laughs) um (laughs) but if not i I wasn't far enough in that like i it's irredeemable so i I wouldn't mind going back in um but that said uh it's available there you're playing it on ps4 i imagine yeah yeah yeah. it's out on ps4 i think it's on mac and pc um and i think if i'm not mistaken it's supposed to come out for switch at some point either this year or well i guess hopefully this year or maybe 2021 but either way it, it is available for a lot of platforms uh and is wonderful and the soundtrack is on spotify and i've listened to it a lot so much so that i think three of the tracks were in my top 100 from last year uh, so <laughs> yeah cool. it's it's a great soundtrack um yeah it's really lovely like the hype is real i uh i always go into games that are this hyped like kind of with my shitty inner 18 year old being like oh, what's the big deal yeah. this isn't three houses yeah totally you know? and like it is really a unique experience um i I, th- I think once we do game of the year in 2020 because like what we did this year is we looked back on our list and we're like will we change anything i think i'll know like once i finish it and like once we have like enough time to think about it if i would like put this in over anything else i highlighted but yeah regardless of that it's just a game worth highlighting from last year and, and i can totally see why it was number one for so many people uh, it's really really special yeah it's yeah it's good it's good i had it it was in my hotly contested uh Spot number 10 for number 10 yeah yeah which i think i ended up giving to control uh just because i played more of it but I, I think i similar vibe if i finish it, it'll probably be higher in the redux list um yeah anyway should we wrap up yeah let's wrap up um this is a fun episode i i enjoy slowly getting back to a normal routine after our cats fiasco <laughs> and our 20 hour bonus episode yeah um 
But yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening. I think uh, more and more, I mean, we always say how appreciative we are of the support, but we're only seeing it grow and, and just like really grateful that that anyone is enjoying it as much as we enjoy making it. And I think that was really a testament with the giant episode we released and that people are tweeting at us being like, I love this, do it again. It's like, we, it might take a lot for us to do it again, <laughs> truth be told, but uh, I, we're glad you enjoyed it. We're glad you like the show that much. Yeah. Um, if you want to follow <laughs> us more, we have a Twitter account at Enter the Cast. Um, we have a Twitch account, which we're slowly but surely starting to use more. Um, I'm thinking about streaming some AI dungeons soon. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that'd be so fun. Which I want to yeah, do you with do you, dear listeners. So please join me while we oh, play AI so fun. Dungeon together. Actually, yeah. Someone in the Discord, which you can join the Discord, the link is in the show notes, mentioned trying to do a Jackbox party with a bunch of people. Oh, like, cool. Because you can just play on your phone. So maybe we'll do that one day. Uh, definitely open to like ideas of like what you want to see. Um, let us know. Uh, if you really, really, really like the show, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash into the cast. There are three tiers. For $1, you get a shout out. For three, you get access to the episode art and uh, mobile wallpaper versions of it. And for $5, you get uh, our monthly newsletter. Worth noting, when this comes out, the newsletter should be coming out like towards the middle end of this month. We tried to release it at the beginning of the month, but we ended last year with the game of the year and the games of the decade. There's just a lot going on, so we had to push it back a little bit, but expect that um, in the coming weeks. And uh, we always release a public issue quarterly, and that features writing from myself and Brendan and uh, other writers we want to feature and artists as well. We're excited to see that grow. And also, please let us know, too, if you want to see anything else from the Patreon. We're open to having more tiers and more things to work on. It exists because of feedback, and we're always open for more. Uh, And do you have the list of uh, patrons to give a shout out to, Brendan? Yes. Oh, wow. I do. You sound like the Red Prince. Actually, no, he's more like, I dare say I find this topic to be uh, discreetly academic. Like, I'm so saying? excited for that game <laughs> to finish downloading it so I can play it as soon as we're done recording. It's yeah, so dude. I'm ex- I think I might play it after talking, even though I just gushed about Idlewilds. I'm like, I kind of want to visit my lizard friend. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks to uh, our lizard friends, Akira, <laughs> Alex, Andrew D, the other Andrew D, uh, Bede, Benjamin D, Benjamin W, Bolt, Brett, Catherine, Christopher, David, Hilton, Inez, Jason, Jeff, Josh, Cameron, Kim, Kyle, Mark, Marcel, Melly, Muffin Pie, Micah, Min, No Name, Pablo, Philip, Salute, Peasy, Scout, Spencer, and Trevor. Uh, thank you to all of you. Uh, some new names on that list. Very cool. Um, yeah, I think that is just about it for us. Um, if you really like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and write a review or just like hit, I don't know, however many stars you feel we deserve. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, three, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, thanks again. Uh, we're excited for the new year. Excited what's ahead of us. Excited to also revisit some older stuff. Um, I think you can expect a pretty mixed bag in the coming months because like it is a bit slower at the start of the year. Yeah, um, until March when when the heavy hitters start coming out, I think we're going to kind of be floating around in terms of what we're talking about, which should be fun. Yeah. Um, which I I'm think there's a Nintendo Direct on the horizon, so hopefully we can talk about that. that <laughs> I love how that's the only news we cover. It's like perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That yeah. and anything Pokemon related. Yeah. Um, I just got a uh, notification from my CoStar app. You've been given a neutral idea of friendship, but you can change that. I don't know what that means. Um, but I mean, mine I'm was glad to tap into your friend. telepathic abilities today. <laughs> <laughs> Once it just said, trees communicate through an underground fungal network. I'm like, this is not advice or guidance. It's just a fact. <laughs> but I'm glad I know. Uh, uh, cool. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it for real. 
Uh, goodbye, um, everyone. Um, my name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. See you next time. Yeah. Shout out to Red AJ, our producer. And uh, shout out to you, friends. And goodbye. Play out or wild. Shout out to the Red Prince, uh, the Lizard Prince, uh, destined for madness or greatness. True Aquarius in that way. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Goodbye. Santa's sour legs? TWG, the worst garbage dot online.